Bible that you have with you, hopefully, and open up to the book of Hosea. Joshua. No, Joshua. Joshua. Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. <clears throat> and as you guys are turning there a little bit, um, how many of you were with us on Wednesday? All right. All right, there's a few. Okay. All right. So um, I was thinking back over the message a little bit, and I was thinking about, and I actually listened to the message again. I was chatting with my wife, and I do have to apologize to you guys. There was something that I said in the message that I probably just shouldn't have said. And I listening back over, I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. So when I basically said that you guys had no benefit to my life, remember when I said that? Yeah. Okay. Preach. All right. <laughs> I was listening to that and I thought, wait a minute. That came out wrong. That came out completely wrong. I think all of you guys understood what I was talking about, hopefully. But in case you didn't, I did not mean that you have no value and that you had no benefit to my life whatsoever. That's not what I meant. What we were talking about, in case you were a little bit confused is that you don't care about somebody just because of what they add to your life. That's not how Christ has loved us, and that's not how we're supposed to love other people. And so I said, I'm not here doing this because of what you bring into my life. I'm here just because I care about you. That's what I meant. So I just wanted to clarify that. I was laughing. I was going back over, and I listened to it again, and I'm like, no, that came out completely wrong. I need to completely apologize about that. So that is my fault. So I actually do care about you guys. And you do add a benefit to my life. I learn a lot from you. So you're not completely useless. Only a little bit. <laughs> just kidding. All right. Okay. So with that behind us, let's go ahead and talk about the book of Joshua. Joshua. All right. So we are going to attempt to do Joshua chapter 9 and chapter 10 this morning. Believe it or not. I don't know if you believe it. How many of you believe it? We're actually going to do two chapters today. I don't. All right. I got like two. And they're like half commitments. I guess not the full. Oh, yeah, totally. All right, so we'll see how far we can get with this one. Okay, so somebody explain where we're at so far. Give me a quick rundown. Noah. Walt Jericho fell down. They went to AI full of confidence. They get slaughtered. They come back. They're like, oh, there's evil in the camp. God told them that. Yes. They take care of the evil, and then they go back. They follow God's battle plan, defeat AI, and now they're on conquest. Yes. And how does that apply to your life so far? What are some of the things you've learned out of the result? Jack. Yeah, got to go talk to God first. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning as well. Anything else? Yes. God has a battle plan. Follow it. There you go. Not your own plan. Okay, good. All right, so we're learning a few things. Everybody else is like, hmm. should I call it on somebody? Anybody else want to share a little bit? Okay. Uh, did, I know you said something about how, like, how God is like Joshua and we're like an army. Like, uh-huh. like he commands us what to do and we have to go. Yeah, yeah. And the only way we can do that is if we live a life of submission. Because we have a choice every single day. Am I going to listen to my own way or am I going to listen to God's ways? And it's a choice that we make every single day. Okay, so now that we're at this point, what happened with AI? Round two, remember? That was last week. Round two, what happened with AI? Uh, they, they didn't do the exact same thing as they did the first time. Correct. Wow. <laughs> Good. They learned from their mistakes. They listened to God. They ambushed them. Yes. 
They use distraction to ambush the people. They burnt the city. No, you're getting there. Come on, just one step at a time. Okay, all right, that's it. All right, who else wants to add to it? Nothing, nothing? Yep. Joshua held up something, his sword or... Spear. Spear. He held up that throughout the entire fight. Yep. And that was required of him, I think. Sure. Yeah. Doesn't say it was, but it certainly looked like it helped him. Lightsaber. Yeah, no, not lightsaber. (laughs) This isn't the message Bible. Come on. (laughs) Sam, you want to add something? So... Sure. <laughs> well, you just looked like you wanted to add something, so I thought I'd ask. All right, so going off, you know, continuing what Jack was saying, so Israel and Joshua actually finally put their trust in God and yeah. obeyed him. And when they did that, they actually defeated AI. Exactly. You know, when they fought him the first time, they were obeying God or trusting him. So yep. it can kind of be a picture of us. Yep. We're nothing without God, just yeah. like Israel was yeah. nothing. Yep, exactly. Exactly. We always have to remember that God is our Lord. We are not our own Lord. He's the one that can overcome, not us. That's so, that's so important for you guys to get. That's so important. So now as we head into this one, we're going to be spending the next two weeks talking about the enemy's response. Because looking at the big picture, so if we take a step back and we look at the big picture, God has promised to them this land, this giant piece of land. They come in, and the first city they take is Jericho. And they do it miraculously. It didn't make any sense. They march around the walls. The walls fall down. They go in and they attack it. And then they go in and the next city is Ai. And the first time they attack it, didn't work out because there's sin in the camp. Then they dealt with the sin and they went back and they were able to take the city. Okay, well now they're on a roll. Because think about it. They had a great victory that God did on their behalf. They had a big defeat. But then they bounced back from the defeat and they took Ai. So now the confidence is back again, but they understand now that they need to be obedient to God, and now they're moving on to the next city. And the enemy doesn't like that, because now you have two major victories. Once you have a victory, and then you have a massive defeat, most Christians do what? They stay down. They don't get back up. So once you learn to get back up, deal with the issue, head back out and get another victory... Now the enemy is like, okay, now we've got a problem. We need to stop these people before they can go any farther. Because learning how to get back up from your defeats is not an easy thing. It's not. It's very, very difficult. But the most dangerous Christians out there are the ones who get defeated, but they learn to get back up and get back into the fight. Because most Christians won't even do that. And that is a real threat to the enemy. All right? So we got that so far? Okay, so now we're going to see what is the enemy going to do. And we see chapter 9 and chapter 10 really lay that out. All right, paragraph. Now that Joshua and Israel are walking in step with God and gained massive victories in Jericho and Ai, the other enemies of the land respond to the people of God. When God is at work and the word of God is declared, there is always division among the people. There's always division. Um, I mean, we could spend some time looking at those verses, but when you look at those verses, and you can look them up later, whenever there's truth, whenever truth is declared, there's always division. Always. Like, if you take a stand and you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to believe the truth, I'm going to obey the truth, guess what's going to happen? You're going to cause a little bit of an uproar in your life, and people are not going to like it. They're just not. You take a stand, and let's say you're the only one in your family that's willing to take a stand and to actually obey the truth. Your family may not like you. Or let's say you get newly saved 
and all of a sudden your life begins to change, your friends are really not going to like you. And it's going to cause you to maybe, maybe compromise and go back to some of your old ways so you can keep your friends again. So there are certain things that happen that when you take a stand for the truth, it always causes division. Always. Always. And there are some people that choose to keep obeying, regardless of the division, because they love God with all their heart. And there's some people that choose not to. And so the enemy knows that. So the enemy of God will never rest as we allow God to lead us through major victories. <clears throat> but God will end up using the enemy's response to open up new doors for even more victories when you continue to follow his lead. And that's what we're going to take a look at this morning with Joshua 9 and Joshua 10. All right. So Joshua 9, we're going to look at the enemy strategy number one. And then down in verse 3 through 27, we're going to see enemy strategy number two. And then in chapter 10, we're going to see enemy strategy number three. And then what God's response is to the enemy as you stay obedient. That's the context. The whole context is that even when the enemy assaults you and attacks you, that you stay obedient. And then you can see what God is going to do as a result. All right, so Joshua 9. Joshua 9. Verse 1 and 2. Someone read that. 9, 1, and 2. Samuel. And it came to pass when all the kings which were on the side of Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys, and all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard thereof, that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. Okay, so what do you see? Just based on those two verses, what do you see? Yep. A bunch of the enemies of God are gathering together to fight against Okay, so you have now enemies uniting together, and they are choosing to fight against Israel. Because before, you had Jericho. Now, Jericho was a massive city. They could have taken Israel, but instead, they end up losing because God's hand was upon them. And then you had Ai show up, who was smaller, and they took him, and they defeated him. But now that the enemy sees that they had two major victories, let's unite together, and now let's fight against them. Even more resistance. So that's the first thing that we see here. So the enemy strategy number one is to unite and to fight. So taking a stand for God stirs up the enemy every single time. <clears throat> every single time you take a stand for God, you should expect resistance. It should never be something that you're like, oh, oh and you're surprised. Like, I didn't know I was going to be persecuted for standing up for the truth. Okay. Yes, you are every time. Because who does this world belong to? Satan. <laughs> yes, this world belongs to the devil. He is the God of this world. You're in enemy territory. Right? So why should this be a shock? As an American, if you were to fly over to Pakistan, who is an enemy of the United States, right? Or Iran. Or anything like that over there. And you start walking around with a MAGA hat, <laughs> with a flag, American flag, and you start taking a stand for the United States in that country, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> You're going to die. You're probably going to die. Common sense, right? Okay, as a born-again believer that your citizenship is in heaven with the Lord, when you wake up every morning and you live, you have a choice to make. You're going to stand up for the truth because you belong to the truth, because God is your truth, or you're going to do what? What's the other option? 
What's that? Back down. Back down. Compromise. Blend in. You think the CIA operatives that are currently in various parts of the world that are enemy territory just, oh, yeah, that's CIA. <laughs> they're wearing that, the CIA shirt again. They're, they're definitely CIA. No, they don't do that. What do they do? They blend in. So they can't be seen. So they can't be noticed. This is what we tend to do a lot of times. We just blend in. We blend in so that we were not noticed. And because if we didn't blend in, then we would receive some resistance and persecution. Correct? Now, if you're over in enemy territory and you knew that our government was watching every single step and that your government had snipers in all the places around, in the buildings and around the town that you're in, and that at any point in time, they're like, nope, we got your back. We got your back and you can walk freely through the town. Don't be afraid. Go ahead and just go and declare and do what, would you be as afraid? You would be still be afraid, but would you be as afraid? No. Do you think God is just leaving you here alone? Like, yep, all right, there's my child. Um, see you when you die. Like, <laughs> no, God doesn't do that. He has your back. He has your back. Now, are you still going to come under assault? Yes, you are. But what did Jesus say in John chapter 16? What did he say? Anybody know? Yeah. I think it's 33. I think it's 1633. What if it's 12? What is it? What, what if it is 12? I know that. What, what, then say it. <laughs> I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them That's a great verse. It's not the one I was thinking of, though. <laughs> I love that verse, though. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Or, in this world you may have persecution, you may have fear. But don't worry, I've overcome the world. I mean, that's what he said. I've got you. I've got you. So if somebody has your back, it's a whole lot easier to go into situations that are very, very difficult. Well, God has your back. So you got to understand that. you got to understand that. But this is a reality of the Christian life that you just have to understand. This is why Jesus said in John 15, it's one of your cross-references there, and he said in other places, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. They're going to. Now, is that something that's enjoyable? No, absolutely not. But you got to understand that when you take a stand... You're going to get resistance. And I believe that's probably most of the reason why many of you choose not to take a stand when you have an opportunity to take a stand. Because there's going to be resistance. People may not like you. Things may not go very, very well for you. You might lose some of your reputation. And that fear of men really takes a hold of your heart and starts to overcome your ability to be obedient rather than understanding that God has your back and that he's watching you and he wants you. Man, this is why I love... I love movies that uh, involve underdogs. I love it. Like, you know the Rocky movies? How many of you guys have seen the Rocky movies? Man, I love the Rocky movies. Most of you guys are now culturally, culturally illiterate. So you need to get, you need to, at some point, you need to watch the Rocky movies. One of my favorite Rocky movies was when he was going up against the Russian. Oh, my gosh. It was like the best. Because the Russian was like this dude, massive. I mean, undefeated. He was like intimidating. He was just like the one person you would not want to fight against. And then you got Rocky, who's good. But he's not that good. And man, it was like at the last minute, he was able to come back and just annihilate him. You're like, yes! I love those movies. And the reason why we love those movies is because that concept is biblical. I'm not saying Rocky is biblical. That concept is biblical. We live in a world where it's very intimidating, where the enemy has control. The enemy can do pretty much whatever he wants to anyone at any given point in time. And we are the underdogs. We're the underdogs. We're the ones that 
to just, I mean, it seems like the odds are completely against us. Like we can't even win. But yet we can because we have the Lord with us. And we already know the end of the story. So taking a stand for God will always stir up the enemy. That's exactly what happened to Israel. All the kings heard what had happened and they gathered themselves together, verse 2, to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. And this is what happens among the enemies of God. Because the whole second point here, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. This is what the enemies of God do. They may not have a whole lot in common, but they do have one thing in common when you step onto the field. What's that? Yeah. They don't want you. They don't want you to succeed. And so they will join forces together, even though they might be fighting against each other, to come against you. And people are wanting to take you guys out. They're wanting to take you out. Let's take a look at a couple verses. Hold your spot in Joshua 9. Um, someone do uh, Zephaniah 3 8. Everybody else go to Proverbs eleven twenty one. Who wants Zephaniah? You got it. Zephaniah. Everyone go to Proverbs eleven twenty one. Proverbs eleven. All right, Proverbs eleven twenty one. Brandon, why don't you read that one? Um, thou hands join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the uprighteousness shall be delivered. Okay, though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. You know, it doesn't matter if this entire world, they all join forces against you, against God, against whatever. Though hand join in hand, make, makes you think of a game. What game does it make you think of? Well, there's not one. Red Rover. That's what I was thinking. Red Rover. Some of you guys, have you played that one? Should we do that right now? Yes. That would be so much fun. So, the whole point of Red Rover is what? To break through the line, right? Though hand join in hand. So you have this united force behind this one person who's coming at them to break through the line. And they all try to hold together really tight and to not let you through, right? That's exactly what's going on on the spiritual side. Spiritual Red Rover. I don't know if you're... This is a dumb illustration, I'm sorry. But that's kind of what's happening. Though hand join in hand, it doesn't matter what the force is and how they are united together, they will not go unpunished. They are going to lose. It doesn't matter what they, what they say or what they do. In Zephaniah 3.8, listen to this one. Therefore, wait ye upon me, says the Lord, until that day I rise up to the bread. For my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdom, to pour upon them my indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. Okay, did you get that one? That one. You know what God said he's going to do? All right, listen up. God's letting you in on this plan. He says, I'm going to gather all the nations together. And all the nations, as they come together, are going to go against him. He's like, but the reason why I'm gathering them together, because they're easier to take out. That's exactly what he said. Read it again, Noah. Therefore, wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until that day I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdom, and pour upon them my indignation, even all my fierce anger for all the earth shall devour with the fire of my jealousy. <clears throat> See that? God's like, all right, I'm going to get everyone together, and they're going to fight against me. But you know what? I'm just getting them together because it's just easier to take out. Boom. Done. They're all out. So while the enemy thinks, okay, we're going to be much stronger because we're together and we're fighting against God, God's like, no, I just kind of brought you together because I didn't want to go here and here and here. I just brought you all together so I can just wipe you all out at the same time. 
See, that's how God sees things. We need to have a different perspective. We often are very intimidated by people. When the enemy is intimidated and the fire gets turned up, you should get excited. How about that one? Think about that. When things get turned up and things are difficult, you should be excited because you know that God is working and the enemy is on the run. They're afraid. If the enemy wasn't afraid, would they attack? No. But yet we turn this around completely and we think that we're getting attacked because it's something that maybe we have done that that has been wrong. And maybe there's dumb mistakes that we make. But listen, when you are living a godly life and you're making good choices and bad things happen, the enemy does not want that to happen. And so they're trying to attack you to get you to stop. And that's when you should say, heck no, I'm going to keep going. It should make you want to keep going. It should. So that's what the enemy is going to do is they want to unite and fight. And then the second thing, and this one gets a little bit more complicated, and this is where Carson needs to learn this new word, to work willily. Willily. How many of you use that one often? Anyone know what that means? Willily. To work willily. Yeah. In a deceptive manner. Yes. In a deceptive manner. Willily. You know, like Wiley Coyote? Right? He tries to deceive the roadrunner constantly. I think I have that as my picture. Do I? I do. <laughs> to work willily. He doesn't he wants he wants that roadrunner dead. So what is he gonna do? kill him but you can't just do it out in the open you got to paint a picture with the cliff on the other side and then the roadrunner runs through and actually goes onto the picture and then he doesn't understand and then he runs through it and he falls off the cliff so <laughs> he never stops for all eternity while coyote is trying to get that roadrunner all right so now let's take a look at this one and let's walk through this together and we'll stop and make some comments as we go through this this one together because it's a little bit more complicated but it's a very important one for us to understand so the enemy infiltrates deceitfully Verse 3, and the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and Ai, and they did work willily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles old and rent and bound up, verse 5, and old shoes and clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and the men of Israel, We be come from a far country, now therefore to make a league with us. Now make a league with, make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us, and how, shall, and how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye, and from whence come ye? And they said unto him, from a very far country thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God, for we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, and which was at Ashroth. Wherefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake unto us, saying, Take vittles with you for the journey and go to meet them and say unto them, We are your servants. Therefore, now make ye a league with us. This our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses in the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new, and behold, they be rent. And these, our garments and our shoes, are become old by reason of, very, of, a, of the very long journey. And the men took of their vittles and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. All right. And then Joshua made peace with them. Okay. 
So these guys, they realized, you know what? We're not going to be able to defeat them. They took Jericho. They took AI. Now what are we going to do? We're going to be deceitful. We're going to wear old clothes. We're going to take moldy bread. We're going to put old shoes on our feet. We're going to go in and we're going to tell them this story. And we're going to be able to tell them, hey, this is who we are. This is where we're from. We want you to make a league with us. Now tell me, tell me, what does that make you think of? Or what do you think about that? What does that remind you of? Does anything pop into mind for anybody? Jack? When, we, when you were telling us about like what we need to watch out for in Mexico, like the baby rattlesnakes, yeah. and how they can sneak up and they're like the most dangerous ones. Yep. Yeah, it does. Because you, know, you might not even realize it, but in the middle of your stuff, you can have this baby rattlesnake. But why are they the most lethal? Yeah, they don't know how to control their venom properly. So once they bite you, all the venom goes in you, and then you're dead. Yep. So it's a very deceitful manner. What else do you think of? You know what it makes me think of? I'll just throw this out. False Christians. People that are playing the game. False teachers, even. People that call themselves Christians, but they're really not. They put on a front... They look like a certain story, but yet on the inside, who they are is completely different. They're flat out just lying. There are people that want to come in to God's people without actually being honest. They're just playing the game. And there are some people that are at our church and other churches. They call themselves Christians, but they're really not. They're really not at all. And over time, you'll be able to figure it out. But here you have a great picture this picture of the Hivites, the, the Gibeonites and the Hivites, they are a picture of false messengers, false Christians, false ambassadors, false ministers. Because look at it again. The first thing that you show here, that they show up here, is that they are ambassadors. Verses 3 through 5 talks about that. That they are ambassadors from a very far country. When you study out ambassador, what is an ambassador? Yep. Yes. And in the Bible, where God uses ambassador is that you are God's ambassadors. Once you were born again and you're in God's family, you are God's representative in this world. Well, here it's used as a negative context. So here you have these people that are ambassadors from a very far country. Guess what happens when you study out a very far country in the Bible? It's a reference to heaven. It's a reference to heaven. So it's not bad. Sorry, you're wrong. You, you can be wrong. So you have ambassadors, which is associated with us as Christians. You have these people that are from a very far country. And when you study out that phrase, you find out that it's talking about God or the place where God dwells. It talks about heaven. And then the third thing that you see here is that they want to make a league with them for the name and for the fame of God. That's why they want to do it. We've heard of your God. We've heard of him and we want to worship him. Baloney. No, they don't. They just don't want to die. That's all they want. It's for selfish reasons. And so this is a great picture of the enemy infiltrating quietly and deceitfully. Let me give you a classic example of how this might occur in your life because it happened in mine. And the reason why Wednesday nights we're talking about dating. I have had so many conversations with people that are interested in someone else who might be lost or they might even be saved. They don't really know. But this person claims to get saved because maybe that person won't date that person unless that person gets saved. I have seen this happen so many times, it's ridiculous. 
so many times where someone who's lost gets saved so they can date the person that's actually saved. And it ends up completely wiping them out. It happened to me in my life. It happened to me in my life. And it's wrong. So how can you know? Christian, how can you know if someone is genuinely born again and they're not just getting saved just because of you? Yeah. And guess what teenagers don't like to do? Wait. Oh, they got saved. I can date them now. Hold on a second. Or what if someone claims to be saved or that they know God, but they really, really don't. But in your mind, oh, they have a testimony. They're saved. They're game. Mm, not necessarily. Jesus always says, by their fruit, you shall know them. And that takes time to actually see and prove out in their life. So these are things you need to be really, really careful of. You need to be very, very careful of. And that's just one example using that uh, as just a testimony of my own life. Because the enemy is very, very good. Very good. He's a great counterfeiter. I put in 2 Corinthians 11 on purpose. In fact, let's just turn there really quick. Go to 2 Corinthians 11. I want you to see this. So make sure you hold your spot in Joshua because we're going to turn back there really soon. But go, go to 2 Corinthians 11. <clears throat> he is a master manipulator. Master manipulator. This verse freaks me out. And whenever I share it with people, it always freaks them out too. All right, 2 Corinthians 11. And look at verse 3. But I fear lest by any means as the servant beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if ye received another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. So Paul says very clearly that the devil is about the process of getting people to believe in another Jesus and in another spirit and in another gospel. And there are plenty of religions out there today that use the name of Jesus, that talk about the spirit of God, and they talk about, what's the last one there? The gospel, but it has nothing to do with the Bible. And so you have to be careful because there are people out there that are using Christian lingo and they're not even saved. They're not. And they're in religions. They claim to be God's religion, but it's not. It's the devil's religion. And yet it has the name Christianity behind it. So how do you know if it's true or not? Think about that for a second as you read these other verses. Look at verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So not only is there another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel, but then there's false apostles, deceitful workers that transform themselves into the apostles of Christ, and they're called ministers of righteousness. So let me ask you, as the enemy is trying to infiltrate into your life with maybe different beliefs, different people, different things, how can you know that what you are being confronted with is actually true? And how can you know that what you believe is actually true? Because you should. You should know that. By letting the Bible be your final. Yes. Yes. 
If it doesn't line up with the scriptures, it's out. So that also means that you need to know your Bible, which means you need to spend time in your Bible. Because if you never spend time in your Bible and you don't know your Bible, and then the enemy all of a sudden brings something in, you're defenseless. You don't know what to do with that. And chances are you're just going to be duped along with everybody else. You've got to know your Bible. This is why we push you guys to be discipled. And it's not just about biblical information, but how to actually live it and to walk it out in your own life. You've got to know how to do that. Because if you don't, then you are going to be that stranded, that stranded animal in the pack that gets left behind and gets slaughtered by the lion because you didn't know how to defend yourself. Because you never grew up. You never grew up in the scriptures. You never really understood, well, why do I believe what I believe? Can I actually prove that? And a lot of you guys won't even start studying your Bible until you're in a situation where you're like that. And by that time, it's probably too late. It's probably way too late. You should take advantage of what you've got in front of you. All right, back to Joshua chapter 9. <clears throat> so the enemy infiltrates very, very deceitfully. You got ambassadors from a very far country. They asked to make a league. And then you have Joshua who ends up making a league with them. But look what Joshua did. Verse 14. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. So he went ahead and he made a counsel. He made a league with them without proper counsel. It says very, very specifically, they asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. There's so many times we make decisions that we don't ask God's opinion. God's opinion is the one that matters the most. He should be the first one that you go to. He should be the first one that you should go to when it comes to any of this stuff. And Joshua didn't, the princes didn't, and they went ahead and they made a league with them. Now look at verse 16. And it came to pass <clears throat> at the end of three days after they had made a league with them that they heard that they were their neighbors and they that dwelt among them. And the children of Israel journeyed and came in unto their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and Chepharah, and Beeroth, and Kirjath-Jerim. And the children of Israel smote them not, because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregation murmured against the princes. See, when you make decisions that are the wrong decisions, it affects people. It affects people, especially when you're in positions of leadership. And whether you guys really like it or not, all of you are in positions of leadership. Because you have little kids that are looking up to you right now. You do. You got little kids that are looking up to you guys as the senior hires. And the decisions that you make ripple down to them. So you make bad decisions, not asking counsel at the mouth of the Lord, and you do affect kids in our church. You do. You guys directly affect the junior hires. Directly. And I know it's not something you ask for. It is what it is. And so you have to understand that. There's a lot at stake here. And so your decisions really affect other people. Verse 19. But the princes said unto all the congregation... We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. And this we will do to them. We will let, even let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swear unto them. And the princes said unto them, Let them live, but let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation as the princes have promised them. And Joshua ends up confronting these people and saying, Why did you do this? Now you guys are our servants forever. And so that's what ends up happening. They now are, in, are responsible to cut down wood and take water. And that was their punishment. But here's the thing. They're safe. They're safe. They're now with the nation of Israel. And so what I love about this is that even though the league was made with them without proper counsel, this last point here, 
under enemy strategy number one is that true peace was made through humble submission of the enemy. See, the enemy came in deceitfully and it was wrong. But when confronted, they humbly submitted and said, you're right. We were wrong and we will do whatever you say. And see, I like that about them. So now they're on God's team. Even though it didn't happen the way that it was supposed to, now they're on God's team. They made peace with Israel. But now the enemies are not happy about it. So now take a look at this next one. Joshua 10. And I'll read verses 1 through 5. And then you guys can end up just end up reading the rest of the chapter in your own time. Now it came to pass when... Adonizek, which by the way, guess what that name means? Adonai? You, know, you recognize that? Anyone heard that term, Adonai? Okay, Adonai is actually a really good term. And so Adonizek, that name there, means Lord of Righteousness. So when you study this guy out, you find out that he's a type of the Antichrist. Because he has the name of the Lord in his title. So it's really interesting. So, now, when it came to pass that Adonizek king of Jerusalem, by the way, king of Jerusalem, of course, the Antichrist wants to be king of Jerusalem, by the way, and he will be one day, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and to her, and her king, so had he done to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon, now remember, this is the city that deceitfully came into Israel. Gibeon was a great city and one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai and all the men thereof were mighty. Wherefore, Adonizek, the king of Jerusalem, sent to Horam, king of Hebron, and to Piram, king of Jarmuth, and to Jephiah, the king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglam, saying, Come up with me and help me that we may smite Gibeon, for it had made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered themselves together and went up in all their hosts and encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. Now, what I love about this, and I want to spend some time just talking a little bit about this. The enemy gathers again, but now he gathers his allies and he strategically attacks. See, there's many of you guys that are more new in your faith. Some of you have been saved recently. Some of you have just now started to have a desire to grow in your walk with God. Well, let me just tell you something, especially if you're newly saved, you better understand that the enemy of God hates you. And now that you've crossed over, you are a defector and he wants you out. Because he knows what you could become and he doesn't want you to realize your potential. And so he wants to do anything that he can to take you out and to destroy you. And so he will gather his allies together against you and come after you. That's exactly what happened in the book of Joshua here. Gibeon submitted themselves and became part of Israel. And now you have this guy, Adonizek, says, you know what? Let's go take them out. They're traitors now. You've got to understand that. The enemy gathers the allies and they strategically attack. And it's not a coincidence they attack Gibeon because Gibeon is at a weak spot right now. They are now submissive, humble servants of the nation of Israel. They've switched sides. And there's no doubt that when he attacks them, guess what's going to happen? Because you think all the people of Gibeon agreed with this plan? No, you better not. They wouldn't have. There would have been some people that have been like, "Why? now we're being attacked. So we made this choice now to go with Israel. And now these people that we were allies with are now coming against us. Forget it. I want to go back. That's what happens a lot of times when you get saved. Things get hard and you want to buckle and you want to get out. 
But you got to understand the traitors that make peace with God are going to be targeted. And that's exactly what happens here. That is exactly what happens here. And you have to understand that. You got to recognize this though. When it happens that you're not surprised. But here's what I love about the rest of the chapter. God's response. God's response. He utterly destroys the enemy. I mean, utterly destroys the enemy. Let me get through here. I love this one. Love that picture. Resistance is fertile. All right, never mind. Okay, <laughs> moving on. God's response, utterly destroy the enemy. See, listen, you guys are in a battle every single day, every single day. The choices that you make, the person that you are, the things that you do, the things that you don't do, you are in a battle every single day. And it is so easy to just buckle and run back. It's so easy just to give up and to give in. It is so easy. But I am telling you today, don't do it. And if you are willing to take a stand and to do what's right, God will help you. God will help you make the right decision. Because it is in his heart that he wants that enemy destroyed. And do you think, just for a moment, that now that you are a part of God's family, that he is not ticked even more now against the enemy when the enemy comes after you? You bet he is. I think about when my kids were born. When I hear news stories about people murdering children, I hate it. Like, it lights a fire inside of me. I despise it. Why? Tell me why. Why would you, why should you hate that? Come on. This is not hard. This is an easy question. You can answer this one. It's messed up. Why is it messed up? Why is it wrong? They haven't done anything to deserve it. Yeah. Why else? Yeah. That child can't defend itself. And people come in and just murder and hurt and destroy. This is why God said in, in, in the Gospels where he said, okay, you know what? You're going to hurt one of these little ones. It's better for you to cast to tie a millstone around your neck and throw it into the sea and for you to drown than for you to mess up one of these little ones. That's how God feels about it. So how do you think he feels about you? As a child of God, being assaulted by the enemy. How do you think God feels? Answer? Very angry. Very angry. It's his kid. Very angry. And that's exactly what God does here. And it's amazing to hear what God does. You know, in our remaining time, I'm going to just read these points here. And I want to read through this because this part is just absolutely amazing. Okay, so we're going to see what God does. We're going to, we're going to read these points here and then we're just going to read the rest of chapter 10 together. So what does God do? So God gives great confidence, even in the midst of the enemy, trying to destroy them. The Lord will fight for you and alongside you. As we read through this chapter, you know what God does? God ends up sending giant bricks, I mean giant stones out of the sky. Like God sends giant, like meteorites these meteorites come in and they start wiping out all the enemies and it actually says that god killed more of the enemy forces through these meteorites and these rocks falling through the sky than israel did by the edge of the sword so that's what god did it's absolutely amazing the lord will miraculously give you everything you need to win in this story what we're going to see here and this actually happened joshua told god let the sun stand still so for an entire day the earth's rotation stopped for an entire day, God stopped the rotation of the earth in order for Joshua to have enough daylight to slaughter all the enemies of God. That's never happened in the scriptures, ever. 
And it's actually going to happen again during the tribulation, by the way. If you were to study this out, it's actually going to happen again. But this is the only time it's ever happened. And, and the Bible says it. This is the only time where God hearkened to the voice of a man and did such a great thing like that. God ends up coming in and he disassembles the forces. So when you come in and you disassemble the enemy forces from their king and slay them separately and utterly with the edge of the sword. So when God came in, they separated the kings from their forces, put the kings in a cave, and they went and they slaughtered all the rest of the enemy and they came back and they killed the kings. When you obey all that God commands, he can turn an enemy assault into a major victory. Major victory. They took, they took five kingdoms in one day. What we're about to read, they took five, five, five kingdoms in one day. That is massive. You know what kind of confidence boost it would have given the nation of Israel? Huge, huge boost in their confidence to obey God. And then we're going to end with this. Make sure not to get too far from the basics because Joshua goes back and he goes back to the very beginning into the campground where God rolled away the reproach from the nation of Israel. So this is what God will do. So as we read through this, I want you to see some of these devotional applications of what he can actually do in your life. All right, here we go. So verse 6, verse 6. And the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp to Gilgal, saying, Slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not. For I have delivered them into thine hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horon and smote them to Azekah and to Makeda. And it came to pass as they fled before Israel and were going in the going down to Beth Horon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them upon them unto Azekah and they died they were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel and he said in the sight of Israel son stand thou still upon Gibeon and thou moon in the valley of Ahagalon and the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it, that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. And Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, unto the camp to Gilgal. But these five kings fled and hid themselves in a cave at Makeda. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings are found and hid in the cave of Makeda. And Joshua said, Roll great stones upon the mouth of the cave, and set men by it, for to keep them. And stay ye not, but pursue after your enemies, and smite the hindmost of them. Suffer them not to enter into their cities, for the Lord your God hath delivered them into your hand. And it came to pass, when Joshua and the children of Israel had made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter, so they were consumed, that the rest which remained of them entered into fenced cities. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua and Makeda in peace. None moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then said Joshua, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings unto me out of the cave. And they did so and brought forth those five kings unto him out of the cave. 
and king and the king of Jerusalem and the king of Hebron and the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish and the king of Eglon. And it came to pass when they brought those kings out unto and bring those kings unto Joshua, that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war which went with them, Come near, put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. And afterward Joshua smote them and slew them and hanged them, upon, hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging upon the trees until the evening. And it came to pass at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded. And they took them down off the trees and cast them into the cave wherein they had been hid and laid a great stone in the cave's mouth, which remain until this very day. And then take a look at this next one. He just goes through each of the cities. And I'm just going to repeat the one phrase that's consistent with all of them. Look at verse 28. They come to Makeda and smote it with the, what does it say? The edge of the sword. And then it says they came down to the next one in verse 30. And he smote it with the edge of the sword. And then you have Lachish in verse 32. It says they smote it with the edge of the sword, verse 32. And then they go to Lachish to Eglon in verse 35. They smote it with the edge of the sword. And then they come to Hebron, verse 37. And they took it and smote it with the edge of the sword. And then 38. And Joshua returned and all Israel with them to Debir and fought against it. Verse 39. And they smote them with the edge of the sword. There it is again. See, why does God call that out? He smites them all with the edge of the sword. We talked about it last week. Hebrews 4. What is it? Yeah, the Word of God. The Word of God. The Bible is your only offensive weapon that you have in this fight that you have. And here, the way the enemies were taken out was all by the edge of the sword. All of it. And then our last point here, verse 40. So Joshua smote all the country of the hills and of the south and of the vale and of the springs and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua smote them from Kadesh Barnea even unto Gaza, and all the country of Goshen, even unto Gibeon. And all these kings in their land did Joshua take at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. And Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, unto the camp to Gilgal. See, I think a lot of you guys, and this is just my opinion, this is just my opinion, I don't know, I mean, I could be off on this, but I think that you guys are, are at a phase in your life where you have opportunities to fight some major, major battles. And there's too many of you that are afraid to fight. I think you guys are afraid to fight. Now, some of you guys have gotten into it, and you're starting to fight, and you're starting to see some major victories, and God is delivering, and he's showing you how powerful he is, despite your weaknesses. And see, that's when things get exciting. The Christian life is the most exciting life that you can ever have on this earth. And the reason why, for many of you, the Christian life is boring is because you're not in the fight. You're not in the fight. And it could be for selfish reasons. It might be reasons that you, know, you don't want to lose friends or you just don't want to be uncomfortable or whatever. But I would say for the most part, the majority of you guys are not in the fight. You're not in the fight the way that you need to be. And I'm telling you, Get in the fight and watch what God will do. It is unbelievable. 
It is unbelievable the things that God wants to do in you, through you, in the midst of other people. And it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to obey God and to see all the things that he can do. Let me just give you a quick example. The things that God is doing right now at Northwest is not because the Northwest students are the most godly students. Right, Northwest students? <laughs> you guys are all messed up. Right? So that tells you something. God isn't asking for you to be perfect. I mean, that should be your heart attitude towards God, and you should want to walk and be holy. But what is God looking for? People that are willing. Because we already know that you're a sinner. God already knows you're a sinner. That's why he died for you. So get up off your duff and do something super simple, like inviting someone to church. You're afraid to share the gospel. So am I. But guess what? Don't share the gospel necessarily. Not at first. Invite them to church. Invite them to an activity. Do something small. And then through the process of time, you're going to have the opportunity to share the gospel with them because God's going to boost your confidence to the point where you can actually get into the fight more and more and more. So many of you guys are afraid to just say, do you want to come to church with me? Why? That's like the most easy thing in the world. The easiest thing in the world. And that's where it begins. God's not asking you to go out there and to be this, hold this giant debate at your school where it's you versus everyone. And you have to have all your answers down. And you have to memorize all 66 books of the Bible. And No. No. It's easy. God uses imperfect people to do his perfect work. And he wants you in the game. And I promise you, I promise you that if you just take a risk that really isn't that much of a risk, and you open up your mouth and you just do something small, watch what God will do. It will be amazing. Your floor, The floor will be met with your jaw because you're going to be so shocked by all the things that God's going to do. And then you're going to get to know who God actually is. Because the God that you think that he is isn't the God that he actually is. And that's probably why you're also not in the game either. Because look what God did in Joshua. Look what God did through Joshua. Look what God did for the nation of Israel. That is astounding. Astounding what he did for them when they stepped forward and were willing to be obedient. All right, we're done. Someone pray for us. Close this out. Go ahead. Amen. On our way out, let's sing happy birthday to Brandon. Happy birthday to you, Brandon. We're talking about you. Happy birthday to you. Yes, you right there. Happy birthday, dear Brandon. Happy birthday to you. You're welcome.